Daddy teaches you you can be anything in this world that you want to be, right? Don't daddy teach you that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if, if you're black or white or any color. doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow. yellow. Right? Black. And, and how we treat people is based on who yeah. they are and not and what color nice. they are. And if they're nice and smart. See? This is, how, this is how children think right here. Critical race theory wants to end that. Not with my children. It's not going to happen. My baby's gonna know that no matter what she wants to be in life, all she has to do is work hard, and she can become that. Work hard even though you don't know anyone. You can make friends. <laughs> yeah, you can make friends, no matter what color they are. So we need to stop CRT, period, point blank. Children do not see skin color, man. They love everybody. If they're good people, they love them. We pray for people that are hurt. All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor NDH. Thank you so very much for joining us on the set here today. Uh, remember, if you're watching us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, make sure you like, follow, and subscribe uh, so that you don't miss anything coming from the set of Studio B. We are thankful for how many of you guys follow us and how many of you guys like the podcast. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, today, today, today on the set, I want to talk about something that even from January of this year, uh, I have been approached by several people with off-air uh, conversations, uh, just in passing, sitting around a table, kind of conversating with some friends, asking me to um, talk about this particular issue. Um, it's not that I've been hesitant to do it, but I really wanted to kind of let it play itself out to see which way it was going to go. Um, but it is a hot button issue of our day. Uh, it is dominating the news cycle. It is all over social media. And it is the uh, the idea of the conversation of CRT. And CRT, if you don't know what that means, is for critical race theory. Um, you would have to literally have your head stuck in the sand if you've not heard uh, about critical race theory, um, some of the proponents and some of the antagonists against it. Um, it is something that is dominating the headlines and even the political landscape of uh, the United States of America in particular. Uh, now, critical race theory is far reaching, goes to the United Kingdom, it goes to Australia, but the meat of CRT is happening right here in this Western culture that we call the United States of America. 
So today, um, and maybe even tomorrow, as we do um, a one to maybe two part series on this critical race theory, because it is a lot to talk about. And I want to talk about it in such a way as to talk about what it actually is and then talk about how it plays out uh, in mainstream America, in America and in mainstream life. So I want to give you this little precursor here because I wrote this down because I wanted to be very, very particular about what I said about this issue so that my words are not misconstrued and taken to one side or the other. So my responsibility as a Christian first, a black man second, and an American third are not in conflict Uh, I will defend this position as best I possibly can, and I will try to illustrate the threat of cancel culture and how it poses to the rational discourse about racial inequity in America and how our country so desperately requires true and meaningful conversation about race. Uh, Finally, I will try to model how a Christian, a black man who truly loves his people, should respond. I will do this by enunciating out loud what have increasingly become unspeakable truths. So I'm asking that you would brace yourself uh, because we're going to have an open and an honest dialogue. I know I'm going to step on some toes. I know I'm going to say some things within this podcast and in the future podcast uh, that people are going to disagree with. But you know me. I'm not a stranger to conflict. I'm not a stranger to people not liking what I say. I always um, enunciate the words of Jordan Peterson that said that if you're not offending somebody with what you're saying, then you're typically not saying a whole lot. So offense is just kind of par for the course, but we're going to have a respectable uh, conversation about this all critical issue called critical race theory. So I'm going to approach this in three different fronts. I'm going to tell you what CRT is, its foundation, um, where it was started, the incubation stage of CRT, and then I will give you some of my opinions about uh, CRT. And I, and I say the word opinions very loosely. Um, there is some absolute uh, research that has gone into this. So I say opinions because I hold that dear to my to my heart. But uh, these things can absolutely be found uh, in research for yourself. So critical race theory. Um, Critical race theory is, first of all, an academic push, Um, but critical race theory uh, really originated in the 1970s in the writings of several American legal scholars. Uh, Some of those are very, very powerful. Of course, you would know their names like Derrick Bell, uh, Alan Freeman, Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Delgado, Cheryl Harris. But their writings were really taken from some of the people of the past, like Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, and W.E. Du Bois. It emerged as a movement in the 1980s in the reworking theories of critical legal studies, which is CLS. You need to pay attention to those acronyms um, because they will come back later on in the podcast. So critical race theory is birthed out of what's called critical legal studies, CLS. But critical race theory focuses more on race. Uh, So critical race theory is grounded in what is critical theory. So we got to ask yourself a question. If CRT, critical race theory, is grounded in critical theory, we got to ask ourselves, well, what is critical theory? Uh, Critical theory is an approach to the social philosophy that focuses on, I hear this, the reflective assessment and critique of society and culture in order to reveal the challenge of power structures. So critical theory identifies, quote unquote, 
power structures. With origins in sociology and literal criticism, it argues that social problems are influenced and created more by societal structures and cultural assumptions than by individual or psychological factors, maintaining that ideology is the principal obstacle to human liberation. Let me break that down in layman's term, what critical theory means. If you've taken any humanities course in college, then you have taken critical theory. More than likely, you've had to write a couple of papers on critical theory. Critical theory in its essence says that what people do, the response to what people do is to be taken away and rather what caused them to do it should be put on the table. Therefore, if somebody goes out and commits a crime, it's not the person committing the crime, but rather why did they commit the crime? So critical theory in its essence removes personal responsibility. So academic critics of CRT argue that it relies on social constructionism, which I do. It elevates storytelling over evidence and reason and rejects the concept of truth and merit and opposes true liberalism. Um, now, liberalism to those who believe in the Bible or consider themselves to be uh, conservative, conservative and liberalism is really just terms that are being thrown around the political landscape that really right now in our day don't mean too much of anything. Uh, when I talk about liberalism, I'm talking about the freedom of thought um, and the freedom to do as one sees to do, having the freedom to do right and or wrong. And that is completely within that person's realm to do that. That is what the Bible calls free will will. It is taking the restraints off of a person and allowing a person to live whatever life he or she uh, deems um, plausible. So when you're looking at CRT, let's talk about how it was incubated, um, how it came about, and how it came about being uh, on the fabric of educational reform, uh, social reform, political reform, and how CRT really became the issue that it is today. Uh, the first formal meeting centered on critical race theory was in 1989. Uh, New Development Race, uh, Critical Race Theory Workshop was an effort to connect the theoretical underpinnings of critical legal studies, remember that, CLS, with the day-to-day -day realities of American racial politics. This workshop was organized by one of the founders of CRT, Kimberly Crenshaw, for a retreat entitled New Developments and Critical Race Theory that effectively created this particular field that we're now discussing in 2021. Well, the incubation stage of that started in the 1970s, but it was not really birthed as a movement, as an academic movement until 1989 with this workshop called New Developments in Critical Race Theory. Now, this particular theory, uh, this particular workshop, as Crenshaw states by herself, she says that only her and a handful of others knew that there were no new developments in the critical race theory because CRT hadn't had any old ones. It didn't exist. It was made up in name only. And Crenshaw said this, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it because critical race theory was simply a thought and not an academic movement until 1989. 
One manner in which CRT diverged from the CLS post in 1987 was CRT stressed the importance of race. Now, I need you to hear this about CRT, because this is when we're going to start to identify what CRT or critical race theory is. Critical race theory is all about race. It, it is all about race. It is not critical theory. It is not cr- uh, critical um, uh, legal studies. It is a monster all of its own. And when it really diverged itself from critical theory was when 1989, when this particular theory began to start honing on particularly race. So though CLS criticized the legal system's role in generating and legitimizing oppressive social structures, uh, structures, it did not tend to provide alternatives. CRT scholars such as Derek Bell, which was one of the founders, and Alan Freeman argued that the failure to include race and racism in its analysis prevented CLS from suggesting new directions for social transformation. So Bell and Freeman said because critical legal studies did not address the issue of race, therefore it could not suggest new directions for social transformation. And thus, CRT, critical race theory, was birthed. And from this particular workshop in 1989, there were several books that have become uh, the landscape of this particular issue from Patricia Williams when she published The Alchemy of Race and Rights and Derrick Bell, who published The Face of the Bottom of the Well in 1992. Both of these books have become staples when it comes to critical race theory and national bestsellers. You'll see something about this in just a little bit. Um, So from this particular workshop in 1989, critical race theory was birthed onto the American landscape. And hear this, critical race theory is an academic movement, meaning that it is birthed, it is housed, it is raised in the uh, education system. Um, and, And the sooner, the better for critical race theory. You'll see this right now, even going on in 2021, where they are trying to get critical race theory into elementary school uh, curriculum because this particular movement is birthed in education. It is an academic movement. So in order to understand this critical race theory and to not drown us in the weeds, I tried to break down the critical race theory into five simple, not simple, but five tenets of CRT to really try to make it palatable so that we can understand it and really wrap our arms around it because it's important that we understand this. Now, one of the things that we do here for Studio B is we take mainstream issues that are going on in the world that affect you, that affect me, that are on your news cycles, that are on my news cycles. We talk about them at length, but then we try to merge them to a biblical belief and ask ourselves, what does God say about these particular issues Uh, from CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, ABC, CBS, whatever news that you may look at, whatever social media that you may uh, rely on. We are talking about critical race theory. And you're talking about it from the sense of where people either are for it or they are staunchly against it. And that is unfortunately the environment that we find ourselves in right now. There's really no middle ground. There's really no gray area in the subjects that are being talked across the American landscape. You have to take one extreme to the other. You cannot find any common ground, which I believe is to our detriment, um, even in what we're talking about right now with critical race theory. So there are five tenets, if you will, to critical race theory. 
And, and I want to talk about these five so that I can get into my views and, and really hopefully drive the conversation into having some, some beneficial dialogue um, about CRT. Because I believe that there are some components of CRT, critical race theory, that should absolutely be discussed. Um, but I'm going to say this once. I'm going to say it twice within the span of this podcast. Just like anything else, it gets hijacked. Um, it gets hijacked. When people understand that this particular movement, this particular cause can be used for money making and for power, uh, a power grasp, it gets hijacked. And if you guys remember a year and a half ago, I, I said this about Black Lives Matter. I made a distinction between Black Lives Matter, the movement, and Black Lives Matter, the organization, because I said a year and a half ago that Black Lives Matter got hijacked and it was now becoming a money grab. And now, a year and a half later, you're seeing all the dirty laundry come out about Black Lives Matter, the organization, because there had to be a clear distinction between the two. Critical race theory is in the exact same boat as Black Lives Matter. What started off as a great conversation has now been hijacked to a political platform and a money grab and a power grab. And the actual tenets of what we could have been talking about to move the needle has now been hijacked for, for personal and for political gain. So the five tenets of CRT, critical race theory, are these. One, the first tenet of CRT is that the notion of racism is ordinary and not aberrational. Uh, so the first tenet of CRT is that the notion of racism is an ordinary response, especially here in the Western world or the United States of America. Secondly, the idea of interest convergence. Thirdly, that the social construction of race Fourthly, that the idea of storytelling and counter storytelling. And then fifthly, the notion that whites have actually been recipients of the civil rights legislation. Um, I'm going to uh, as we begin to unpack this stuff, it's very important that you understand these five basic tenets. Um, and these were actually written by Delgado, which was one of the founders of the critical race theory. Richard Delgado is one of the ones who penned the five tenets of CRT. So firstly, they say that racism is an ordinary response in the Western culture. Uh, and it's not aberrational. It's just kind of par for the course. Uh, racism happens. It just is what it is. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong about it. But that racism is just part of the fabric of the Western culture. Now, I need to make sure that I that that I that I help you understand this. While CRT is being propagated in the United Kingdom, while it's being propagated in areas all up in Europe, uh, even as far as India, uh, not necessarily China, but India, even as it's going as far as it is to those particular countries, CRT is mainly propagated within the Western world. In Western world, I mean the United States of America. It's always very, very interesting to me when we talk about slavery in America, because if you know your history, then um, America did not even master slavery. Um, we talk about the transatlantic uh, trade slate um, that happened. It didn't happen in 1619 when Plymouth Rock landed on those eight African-Americans, but it happened long before that. The transatlantic trans, uh, trade slave happened as early as the 1400s. 
And when you look at all of the Africans that were taken from Africa to uh, what we now consider to be the states, 40 percent of those Africans went to Brazil and to the Caribbean islands. Only about 12 percent of the Africans that came from Africa actually landed uh, in the United States or came over to the United States. America was actually very, very horrible at racism and slavery. Um, many think that America mastered slavery. America didn't master slavery. That was the United Kingdom. That was England that actually mastered the slave trade. And even more than that, who mastered it more than England was the Brazilians. Um, they mastered the slave trade. So when we're talking about this critical race theory, even though it is much broader than America, critical race theory focuses on America, because make no mistake about it, uh, America is still a power, a Western power, a world power, and many people take their cues from what they see going on in America. So even though it is of a broader state and other countries and nations are implementing CRT, CRT, critical race theory, is mainly subjugated within the confines of America. So the first major tenet is that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. So racism is ordinary and the overall ethos of the majority culture promotes and promulgates the notion of colorblindness and meritocracy. Uh, critical race theory looks at meritocracy and frowns upon meritocracy. Um, well, America, the Western world, is a nation of meritocracy. Um, and I understand that from a standpoint of um, the critical race theory, when they're looking at meritocracy, there is some stains upon it. But make no mistake about it. Your everyday life is based on meritocracy and meritocracy simply means the merit. So you get rewarded for what you do and you equally get condemned or consequences follow what you do wrong. That, that That's a meritocracy. Um, on your job, there may be instances where um, your performance at a particular job allows you to get a promotion because you have outperformed others on your job. That's a meritocracy. But these two notions are mutually intertwined and serve to marginalize certain enclaves of people, predominantly people of color. Colorblindness and meritocracy serve two primary functions. Now, at the base of CRT, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, at the, at the crux of CRT, critical race theory, critical race theory, while it says race, which includes other races or ethnicities, at the crux or the foundation of CRT is two races, black and white. It's not Hispanic, it's not Asian, it's not any other race. While it says races, which will include other races and or ethnicities, at the foundation of critical race theory, there are two races that are always being discussed, and that is black and white. So I need you to make sure that you understand that as you start, you know, diving into what these five tenants are, because while it says race, which would, you know, typically include other races, critical race theory is talking about two races, the black race and the white race. So first of all, they allow whites when you're talking about racism is just ordinary and not aberrational. They say that whites are allowed to feel the consciously irresponsible for the hardships of people of color and that they encounter on a daily basis. 
that white people does not white people, no matter what age they are in 2021, are blind to the fact that they as white people have called people of color to live hard and disparaged lives and that white people are allowed to feel consciously irresponsible for the hardships of people that the people of color face on an everyday basis. They also uh, maintain that white's power and stronghold within society are par none. So that means that white people will do any and everything, no matter who they are, no matter if it's the white person in the trailer park, no matter if it's the white person in River Oaks or on the 50th floor of the building downtown, that that white person is doing everything that they possibly can to secure their place in society. And they say this idea of colorblindness legitimizes racism needs for others in order for others to flourish and maintain its influence in the fabric of society. So this idea that racism is ordinary is the first tenet of the CRT, uh, critical race theory. It says that racism is just it's just there. Um, and, and it's just there and it's just par for the course. It's just a natural part of life. They talk about when they when they talk about the racism is everywhere. The idea of that is that if you have an event, okay, let's talk about the cause and the event. Um, here's the crux of CRT: the cause and the event. Say the event is that we have a person of color that goes out and uh, kills another person of color. That's the event. CRT will trace the event of the person of color killing another person of color and draw the cause of that event back to a white person. So CRT says, yes, a black man killed another black man, but the cause of the black man killing another black man is at the end of that rainbow is a white person that caused another black man to kill a black man. So they'll take the cause and the event and merge those two together. And the cause is always a white person or a white person to blame at the end of whatever said event. So if someone goes out there and sells drugs and gets called for drugs, chase that event all the way back to the cause and you'll find a white person on the edge of that event. Okay. Or the cause of that event. So they talk about the idea of uh, meritocracy is to be challenged on all fronts and it allows the empowered, the status quo to feel good and have a clear conscience. And they say that the answer to the meritocracy system is to give not on merit, but what is owed and not earned. So meritocracy, again, is what I get, what I get in response to what I give. Um, we, we live in a meritocracy system. Uh, you go to work and you put in said number of hours and then your boss, based on the number of hours that you put in, gives you the paycheck that you agreed to work for, for the hours that you put into whatever said job that you may be on. That is a meritocracy. That is saying that I get rewarded based on merit. Now, there are some issues, and again, that we can discuss about the meritocracy system that are valid that we need to discuss. But the idea by CRT is to give based on being owed and not earned. The second pillar is the idea of interest convergence. Um, it's just a $5 phrase that simply means the critical component within the cogs of CRT. And this common sense belief is, is formulated by the majority or the status quo. The beliefs created within the majority of the haves oppress the minority groups that have nots, 
And stated more precisely, interest conversion is the notion that whites will allow and support racial justice and progress to the extent that there is something positive in it for them or convergence between the interests of whites and non-whites. So CRT focuses on informing the public of how certain stories act and serve to silence and distort certain enclaves of people and culture, typically people of color. So again, in essence, at the meat of it, at, at, at the crux of CRT or critical race theory is the idea of this, um, uh, this idea of black versus white or white versus black. It is two people groups that are at the crux of uh, CRT. Uh, in his uh, book, Derek Bell, which is one of the founders of CRT in the early 70s, who also attended the workshop of CRT in 1989, uh, to which he went on to write the book Faces at the Bottom of the Well, which became a national bestseller. And again, if you've taken any college classes and you went to humanities, then you have heard of this book. You've researched this book. You've read this book. Uh, he gives an allegorical study uh, story in this particular book that really kind of encapsulates what uh, interest can version is. And here's what he says in his book, uh, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, The Persistence of Racism. He gives this allegory of space traders. And he says he explains this in this particular way because interest conversion cannot be explained simply. So he tells a story of this parable uh, that visit the United States of America and aliens visit the United States of America and wish to trade all of the world's African-Americans for the following. So the alien visitors are visiting America and they want to trade all of the African-Americans that are in America for these particular items. One, they want enough gold to retire the national debt. Two, they want a magic chemical that will cleanse America's polluted skies and waters. And then three, they want a limitless resource of safe energy to replace the U.S. depleting supplies. After two weeks of rigorous debating, the referendum is passed and accepted that sends all the African-Americans in the United States to the space traders or aliens. The space traders illustrates two things within this parable. One, that the whites had the power being the politicians and the U.S. leaders. And two, that it was in the whites best interest to give up all the African-Americans in order to get the securities that the aliens had promised. And so Derek Bell in his book, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, presents this allegory to encapsulate what interest convergence is. And he says that the aliens came to America and made a deal with the U.S. politicians to send all of the African-Americans to space or to an alien uh, 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 compound in outer space. And in doing so, they got gold to retire the national debt, a magical chemical to replace uh, the, uh, the American polluted sky and water and a limitless resource of, of energy. So he, he, he makes an allegory by saying that the whites in this particular parable uh, serve their best interest by sending all of the African-Americans off in, in order to get these three um, uh, mentioned things. And that was the best that he can do in order to explain what interest convergence is. Uh, but there are so many different problems with that um, that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. But there are so many 
different problems to that particular statement. Even that allegory uh, is not a very good allegory um, from, from my perspective. So thirdly, that race has been socially constructed, uh, much to the detriment of people of color. The social construction theory or thesis or declaration that race is a social construct has been one of CRT's hallmark, uh, hallmarks and mantras and core issues. Now hear this. I actually agree with CRT on this particular tenet. I do believe that race is a social construct. I do believe that race is socially been constructed um, by culture, by society. Um, when you look in the Bible, the Bible does not declare a race of people. God would identify people from their location. So he would say, you know, the um, the Hittites, the the Amorites or the Hebrews or the Egyptians or whatever ites or uh, people that they may be. He didn't identify them as race. He identified them by region. So race is indeed a, a social construct. I fully agree with CRT's uh, declaration in their thesis about race. Race is something that America and the peoples therein have created for their own benefit. The problem with um, uh, the social construct of race is that people are not homogenous. So people can't be placed in particular boxes. Um, and, but that's how we like to deal with people on a more consistent basis is by putting them in a particular box because we don't like to deal with differences. So I absolutely believe and absolutely agree that America made race a social construct. Now, we know this from several different cases along the U.S. landscape, uh, one of the infamous ones being Dred Scott uh, versus Sanford case. The U.S. Supreme Court declared that Negroes, whether free or enslaved, were not citizens. Uh, we talk about the infamous one drop rule of the Jim Crow, a relic from the Jim Crow era that said that one drop of black blood made the individual black. Uh, we talk about the 1935 minority where they were denied Social Security and were excluded from unions. Uh, we know that America put systems in place to put certain people in block, uh, boxes that were different. And, and again, um, that is a social construct by which even today in 2021, we are still reeling the devastating effects of this social construct. So I absolutely believe that race, black, white, Hispanic, whatever race that you may put in there is indeed a social construct. Now, am I... Um, Am I um, optimistic that that social construct can be destroyed? No, not really. Um, I, I'm, I don't believe that that social construct is going anywhere and is going anywhere um, anytime soon. Um, if you look at any application, if you try to, you know, apply for anything, you'll find those little boxes right there. You know, black, white, uh, island, pacifier, uh, black, not Hispanic, those boxes that you got to check. Uh, so do I believe that that racial construct is going to go anywhere soon? No, I do not. However, I do agree with CRT that race is a social construct. That there is absolutely no difference between a black man, a white man, an Hispanic man, an Asian man, except for the color of our skin. Uh, at the core of all of those particular people, we have the same things going on within us. So fourthly, the tenet is the idea of storytelling comes from its powerful and persuasive and explanatory, uh, explanatory ability to unlearn beliefs. So one of the tenets, one of the fourth tenets of CRT is the idea of storytelling. And it talks about that America uh, 
does not tell the story of racism very, very well. Uh, and that America hides, it, it paints a pretty picture over what is a very checkered past uh, in its history. And this, again, is one of the ideas that I can roll with because I do believe that the ideas of America, the ideals of America, excuse me, the founding principles of America were more ideals um, that were not lived out to even in the inception of America, the great freedoms that we now enjoy were not freedoms for all at the inception of America. The 1776 Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, those great mantras, those great concrete foundations that we are now all a benefit of in 2021. At the writing of those particular documents, the freedoms that were expressed in those documents were not freedoms for all. So the ideals of America were not lived up to when the, when the, when the nation of America was formed. Um, but I do believe that so much progress has been made since those 1776 documents, uh, even withstanding with the with the horridness of slavery and all of the injustices that littered the landscape of America, that I that I do uh, somewhat agree that we have to tell the story in a more full manner. Um, one of the things that I've been very very passionate about. Uh, one of the greatest trips of my life was to Israel. I've been to Israel three times. I have a lot of Jewish friends. Well, not a lot of Jewish friends, but I have several Jewish friends. And one of the things about the Jewish, um, the Jewish nation is that the Jews will never let their offspring forget about their history. Um, the bar mitzvahs by many, many of us are familiar with um, um, the, the Torah that is on every entrance and exit of their door. Uh, Jews will not allow their history to die. So every Jewish person, every Jewish person, every Jewish person, whether you are Orthodox or non-Orthodox, you know about the history of the Jews. They will not allow their history to die. Unfortunately, in African-American circles, our history is quickly dying um, because our people just don't know our history. Um, we're not friends of books to where the history is 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 locked up in. Um, so our history is quickly dying. So with each passing generation, we lose that much more of our history of our ancestors, our great grandfathers, our great grandmothers and those who endured um, uh, difficult times. We are losing that history with each passing generation because we're not teaching that to our kids and to our offspring. We are relying on the, the school system and the shortest month of the year, February, to give us a couple of feel good stories about African-Americans who did some great things. But the history of African-Americans and what they've done in this country is quickly being lost. So the the idea of storytelling from an idea that we need to tell the entire history and the entire story is something that I absolutely agree with. Lastly, and this is the big one, uh, the fifth tenet about CRT or critical race theory is that whites are the dominating power and that whites have actually been recipients of the civil rights legislation. And, and, and the idea that whites at the end of every disservice of everything inequitable, of every racial gap, of every economic gap, of every educational gap, at the end of that problem, you'll find at the beginning of that problem, you'll find a white male. Now, I need to specify this. It is not whites in general, but rather white males that are the forefront of the CRT movement. 
uh, going all the way back even to the Declaration of Independence, that that particular document was written for white males, not white females, but white males. Now, white females, of course, uh, benefited from it because they were married to a white man, but it was specifically for white males. And so when we talk about white people, uh, CRTs particularly is honing in on white males. And so white males have become the um, the enemy, if you will, to all things progressive, to um, uh, to progress being made to systems being torn down, to new implementation of ideas. The white male is the one that is holding progress hostage. And so CRT looks to put a magnifying glass, a spotlight on all white males, regardless of what age, regardless of what background, regardless of your upbringing, if you are a white male here in America on the western side of this planet, then you are in the crosshairs of this particular fifth tenant. So this has an idea that we have to be able to talk about the idea of racial injustice, not for the brown man, not for the Asian, not for um, anybody else other than white and or black. Those are the two primary tenants um, in CRT. So it is clear when we talk about the whites that have actually been recipients of civil rights legislation, writes Delgado, he says that the five major tenets are vitally important given the status of affairs of the U.S. education. So he says in order to do this, intervening on behalf of CRT's five talents, the children of color in our U.S. schools have to be taught this. And he talks about that we have to get it in from the earliest possible levels the earliest possible levels. So the children in our school nationwide need to be able to strive earnestly to become whatever they wish to become and do not worry about operating in a system that disadvantages them because of the complexion or socially constructed race, writes Delgado. So that is kind of like the 30,000 foot view. We'll talk about a couple of more things that are involved with CRT, but that's kind of like the 30,000 foot view and what CRT is basically about. When you peel all of the onion back, you'll find at the bottom of that, you'll find five um, major tenants of CRT. And again, those five major uh, tenets are the notion that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. Two, the idea of interest conversion. Three, the social construction of race. Four, the idea of storytelling and counter storytelling. And the five, the notion that whites have actually been recipients of civil rights legislation and or the force that is progressively blocking any progression. Those are the five major tenets of CRT. Now, with that being said, let me talk about my issues with CRT. Um, There are a couple of tenets that I agree with. Um, I I do believe that there are some valid points in the CRT. Um, But just like with anything else, in the inception of CRT, when it was uh, in the incubation stage, when it was really being talked about to address some really specific needs that need to be addressed, I believe that it could have pushed the needle forward. In so much, and not being a broken record, the Black Lives Matter movement. 
um, and the organization. I believe that at the crux of the Black Lives Matter movement, we know that it started in 2013, 2014, but really in 2020 is when Black Lives Matter or BLM really kind of blew up into this, 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 this major, major force. Um, and I believe that the, the, the progress that could have been made by talking about the issues that needed to be talked about were hijacked by those in particular circles that used it not for the benefit of all kind or mankind, but for the benefit of themselves, political benefits, uh, economic benefits and the such. And the same is with CRT. Um, CRT is has some valid points that I think is worthy of discussion worthy of discussion, but I do have some issues with CRT, and I broke these things down in very, very um, incremental form so that we can talk about them um, in a very, very plain way. One, my first issue with CRT is that I fight against racism and injustice and prejudice that's being done through what I believe is the worst tyranny of all, namely tyranny over the mind. I believe that CRT uh, in its current state, um, the one that is being, um, that is all on the news and that is in every single uh, news cycle right now is tyranny over the mind because, because it is focusing on the art of manipulation. Uh, In a quote, a powerful quote by Alan Bloom, he says, freedom of the mind requires not only or not even specially the absence of legal constraints, but the presence of alternative thoughts. The most successful tyranny is not the one that uses force to ensure uniformity, but the one that removes the awareness of other possibilities. So the freedom of thought and the the idea of thought is that ideas are formed, policies are formed, humans are made better because we have so many different frames of thought coming to the table to get a common goal for mankind. When there is a, a, a singular thought that is pushed and propagated without the awareness or even the possibility of other thoughts, it becomes tyranny. My second issue with TR, uh, CRT is that it leaves no room for meaningful discourse. Thirdly, if we want to fight against racism and injustices and prejudices, then we must shape our conversation around concrete solutions of implementation and not buzzwords and rhetoric. The buzzwords that get everybody excited, the buzzwords that gets everybody fired up. We have to offer concrete solutions of implementation and stay away from the politically charged buzzwords of our day. Unfortunately, most simply lack the vocabulary to talk about racism and prejudice without using the buzzwords like systematic racism or white privilege. Those are the buzzwords, okay? Systematic racism. And when I say systematic racism, it is because I, can't, I cannot point to a particular instance of racism, so I refer to it all as systematic racism. Uh, white privilege. White privilege is simply that because you white, you have a privilege over me as being black and or any other color. Your skin of being white, even in 2021, offers you a distinct privilege over me being black. And unfortunately, the, the, the lack of vocabulary around racism and prejudice uh, cannot be had without using two of these very, very prevalent buzzwords. So if you've taken um, humanities class, which I uh, alluded to early, critical theory and its grievance studies, uh, critical race theory, the feminist theory and post-colonialism are presented as the only and correct way to understand the world. 
Um, one of the things that I have, um, me and my wife talked about, we have three kids in college right now. Uh, so we cling to the idea of Proverbs 22 and 6 that you should train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. Uh, I understand. My wife understands that when we send our kids to these colleges and they're sitting in these philosophy course, uh, courses and they're sitting in these humanity courses, that they are being presented and barraged with ideas that are antithetical to what they have been raised with. Um, the moral fiber by which we've tried to instill in them a right, uh, a sense of right and wrong, good versus evil, um, uh, to avoid evil and to embrace good, that those ideas are attacked from day one when we send our kids off to these college courses. Um, humanities classes that push this idea or the framework of the world is presented in only one and correct way to understand the world. Critical race theory is presented as the singular lens through which one ought to see the world. The singular lens by which one ought to see the world is that race is a social construct enforced by those in power, white men, and it predetermines someone's role and ability in society. So my problem with CRT is that it places the very thing that it's trying to fight against, it is actually enforcing. It's fighting against so-called racism and classism and sexism, and it's fighting against categories, but while fighting against the very things that it says that is hate, it is in turn doing the very thing that it's supposed to be fighting against by putting people in categories. And from CRT, they're saying that the categories is what's got us to this place that we're in right now. But the racial construct enforced by those in power, white men, and predetermine someone's role or ability in society. So your race automatically, the way that you're born, you're born into this world a white man, you're born into this world a black man, you're born into this world an Hispanic man, that predetermines your ability and your role in society. Um, anybody with any sense, and, and I don't mean that in a very disrespectful way, but anybody with any sense will tell you that there are problems with that assertion. Um, th this theory presents the one view of the world, the one lens by which we must all view. The problem is that I've stated that, many, that, that people are not homogenous and you can't put everybody into categories. You just can't put people into there because we're too different. So when we understand that the lack of gender and racial diversity makes it unworthy of study, um, in other words, one's gender or skin color makes their ideas worthy or not of discussing. Philosophy and literature and increasingly science exist to dismantle the power structure instead of serving as vehicles through which we understand most of the profound questions around human existence. And, and, and everybody, there is a hijacking of the educational system going on right now. Um, it is different. Um, the idea and, and one of the points that I have that um, one of my things against CRT is that it leaves no room for meaningful discourse, because if you disagree with this philosophical framework, uh, then you are by default against fighting racism or deny that racism even exists. If you go against CRT, if you push back against any of the five tenets of CRT, if you do not wholly embrace it, then you are by default not fighting against racism or deny that racism even exists. And if you push back against the issues of uh, such terms like power structure or systematic racism, you are likewise accused. 
And it leaves no discourse for discussion, for change of thought, for additional thought, consideration. It leaves absolutely no room for that because it is one lens by which I'm trying to get the entire world to view the world. That's particularly damaging on two levels. One, it precludes any meaningful conversation about racism and race. It, 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 it really it really shrinks the table and it does not. It cannot by its very essence, by its very essence, push a conversation that will be beneficial to the topic at hand because it does not allow for freedom of thought. Secondly, it creates a chasm between the two presumably well-meaning people who most likely agree that racism is bad, but disagree on how to address it. You have two people that equally understand that racism is bad. It's evil. Uh, it is an abhorrent uh, uh, practice. Both people can agree on that to the very core of their being, but have different ways or different ideas on how to address it. But because it does not allow for freedom of thought, then those ideas are never realized. To be clear, I should not even have to say this. I've been a black man for 48 years come uh, September of this year. I've always been black. I've never been white. Uh, so I understand what the black experience is. I'm talking from a place of experience. Uh, I shouldn't have to say this, but unfortunately I will. Yes, racism absolutely still exists in these United States of America. Um, there are uh, very clear uh, signs of racism. There are some overt racism. It is absolutely still here. It is it is on the landscape of America and in the Western world. It's here. However, with it being here and us addressing the fact that it is here, we have to have conversations about how to put forth concrete implementations and not sit around the table yelling at each other about how bad the problem may be. Because racism damages each of our souls. And so we can't have a otherwise productive conversation about racism and, 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 and the ending of racism, which by the way, I do not believe will happen, without getting uh, into argument sessions. Furthermore, the notion that exists that non-believers that do not ascribe to the critical race theory are enemies to the fight to defeat racism. And within this paradigm, the critical race theory, you either resist the hegemonic white supremacist power struggle, which includes the Western civilization, or you are a racist or framed as one that does not understand the issue. I need you to hear that. Uh, within the paradigm of this critical race theory, you're either resisting the hegemonic white supremacists, the system, the big man, the big brother that is holding everybody back, the power struggle, which is the Western civilization, or you are a racist or framed as someone that just does not understand the issue. Uh, you're not smart enough to understand it if you don't want to tear the whole thing down. If you don't want to burn it down and start from scratch, you don't understand the issues at hand. This is hardly the way to have a productive conversation that leads to ending to uh, racism. Regrettably, this decisiveness is simply another tool to keep people at odds with one another. Uh, critical race theory. Here is a bombshell for you. Uh, critical race theory does not seek equality or justice. 
the modern version of CRT as it is presented in 2021. Not that CRT does not have valuable points to it, but this hijacked version that is being presented and forced down our throat does not seek equality or justice. Instead, it categorizes people, one's gender, race, sexual orientation, that you are oppressed and that the oppressor is holding you back and there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself unless the oppressor allows you the freedom to do it. The status from which we are all freed only when the existing societal structures, which are inherently racist, are overthrown. That's the idea of CRT. Um, you saw this in the defund the police movement. Uh, defund the police, not reallocate funds for additional training. No, get rid of the police, get rid of the legal force. That is the police because the police have been systematically racist to a certain group of people. That idea, as I've discussed on this podcast many times before, is absolutely insane because it would directly affect a certain people group and not affect another. The crime is happening in Third Ward, Fifth Ward, Sunnyside, and South Park. The crime is not happening in Bel Air and River Oaks. If I defund the police, then there's more or less of a time for them to get to the crime that's happening at my grandmother's house in Third Ward than the crime that's happening in River Oaks. Because River Oaks have paid patrolmen that roam their streets all days, every day. So this idea of throwing down the system of, of overturning it and, and starting from scratch is the idea by which we are now presented. All you have to simply do is just be a, a student of history. History uh, shows us that authoritarianism, not utopia, an authoritarian uh, government follows a revolution. When you look at Cuba, when you look at Iran, when you look at Venezuela, these once prosperous countries, albeit not without their problems, were captivated by a revolutionary narrative only to find the hard way that, that revolution only serves those in power. The person that is fighting in the, on the protests and on the front lines of the protests, that person is not being benefited. If, 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 if you knew, um, if you get, I don't know what podcast it was, but I showed you a video. It's a very um, easily um, found clip that in the riots of the BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, there would be U-Haul trucks parked in certain spots. The driver wasn't in the U-Haul truck. But as you opened up the U-Haul truck, there were sticks, there were bats, there were signs, there were Molotov cocktails, there were bricks, there were all of these things that were parked neatly inside of a U-Haul truck, conveniently in the places where the rioting was happening. So the people that are on the front lines that are, that are screaming Black Lives Matter and the people that are wanting social justice and all of those things, those people are the fronts to the revolution. The people that are behind the revolution that are pulling the purse strings of the revolution are the ones that are actually benefiting from the people being on the street, not the people being on the streets are benefiting from their own protests. That's how revolutions work. They rile us up, and then once the structure is overthrown, the leaders of the revolution will find something else new to subjugate. That's how revolutions happened. 
And so when you understand this whole thing about riling people up and getting people to literally be at odds with one another because of race, because you don't look the same way that I look, is a tool, is a ploy from Satan himself. Uh, one of my favorite writers, John McWhorter, said in the Losing the Race, the Self-Sabotage of Black America, he says, another truism about black education is that the burdens of societal racism hinder all. But luckily, a few uh, black children in all classes are doing well in school. This apparently sympathetic notion has transmogrified into nothing less than an infiltration of black people and given us a, victim, a victimization mentality that makes black thinkers so ominously uncomfortable portraying their own people as the weakest and least resilient human beings in the history of the species. He says, what we're doing is creating a victim, a victimology um, for people of color. And we are referring to people of color who are, are uh, we are referring to them as weakest, the weakest of individuals and the least resilient of all human beings on the space, uh, on the space of time. He, he, he has a very, very valid point, um, especially when you're looking at um, African-Americans, black America. Uh, we are extremely resilient. Um, and if black America is left to black America, black America will thrive. There is an unfortunate truth that um, I can hear. I will be able to hear the, the keyboard clicks as I say this, uh, because this is an unfortunate truth that we don't like to talk about in black circles. And that is black America and black America talking about the issues of black America that stem within black America. And one weekend in Chicago, 63 people were shot. Six dead in one weekend, one city. Here's the thing. Reports such as this can be multiplied dozens of times effortlessly. If a black person really believes that black lives matter, then what is he supposed to say in response to this report? What is a person that says black lives matter, black lives matter, black lives, black men, black women, black babies matter when 63 people got shot and six people were dead in one weekend in Chicago? What is that person that says my black life matters, but says nothing about the carnage that lies within the streets of Chicago? And I can take Chicago and multiply that times 1000. Does black lives matter or does black lives only matter when it's at the hands of a white man? It matters when it's at the hands of a white man, because, again, it fits one of the five tenets of CRT. But if another black man kills another black man, then that black life does not matter, even though two black lives have been ineffectively destroyed. Violence on such a scale involving blacks as both perpetuators and victims pose a dilemma to the Black Lives Matter or to the one who claims that black lives matter. On one hand, uh, as a legal uh, Harvard scholar Randall Kennedy has said and observed that they need to represent decent law abiding majority of African-Americans who are cowarding uh, fearfully inside of their homes in the face of such violence. We have to do so in order to enhance the group's reputation as the politics of respectability, but mainly as a precondition of our own dignity and self-respect. He says here that the whole of black America cannot be conceptualized with the violence that you may see in a particular community because the overwhelming majority of African-Americans are legal law-abiding citizens. But to define a entire, an entire group of people by a single populace or by an accent or by a moment in time is to do the entire group a disservice. 
Now, on the other hand, we have to encounter the demonization of young men and the larger African-American culture. And it's time to us to have some real conversations about the black experience or the black culture. Um, that was this show. I, I hate to call it an award show, um, but the BET Awards, uh, the BET Awards, the BET Awards is everything that's wrong with black America. Uh, where we celebrate, where we where we give awards to um, lasciviousness and, and all that is wrong and all that is antithetical, we high five and give people awards and large amounts of money to. And that's what we highly regard within our own community. So we must wrestle with the complex of historical and contemporary causes of external and internal to the black experience to help account for pathology. There is no way around this. This is pathology. The behavior in question is not okay. That one can adduce social, um, psychological explanations that do not dissolve the moral questions. We got to talk about that there is a certain responsibility that you and I have in this whole human or black experience. Now, let me just let me say this and then I'll bring this to a close. We're going to have to do this um, on another. We'll do a part number two uh, talking about this whole thing about uh, CRT and, 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 and what's going on with CRT. CRT at its crux. What does the Bible say about this? Um, the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, male nor free. Um, but we are all one. We are all one. I understand, and, and even I've taken, unfortunately, some heat, not heat, I don't want to say heat, because um, ain't nobody breathing down my neck about this, but I, I would say some ridicule, uh, maybe the pie in the sky, maybe the uh, that's too churchy, that's too spiritual, that's way too out there, um, but understanding that this thing that we are struggling with right now, everybody, is not that hard. Um, it's not that hard. It's really not. It's really not that hard. Um, relationships are really not that hard. Um, but there is a narrative that is being played that that benefits, that profits when people are at war. War is a very profitable business. And I'm not just talking about war in the Middle East where we send in our troops. I'm talking about war, discourse. I'm talking about uh, one against another for whatever reason is profitable. Um, power can be gained in war. Well, you did not have power over one particular area. When you go to war, coming out of that war, now you have power over that area that you didn't previously have power over. So war is very profitable. So it is very profitable um, for news media sources to highlight the differences between people because it keeps the news on the air. Uh, it's very profitable for them because it, it, it equates to ratings. Uh, ratings equates to more advertisers. Advertisers equate to more money. More money equates to bigger salaries. War is profitable. The experience between white America and black America and Hispanic America and all that is going on is profitable. And we are pawns in the game being played by the powers that be over issues that are really not that hard.
Yes, we have to have some very serious issues, and I hope that we can one day get to the place to where we have very serious issues, consecrated um, talks about the issues that need to be addressed. Addressing things like prison reform and, and educational reform and, and economic reform and talking about real grassroots solutions that close some of those gaps that absolutely exist. But the idea of propping one race up against another race for the benefit of a few is destroying the masses. So there are people right now that either you're for CRT or you are against CRT, but it really does not allow for any fruitful conversation on the subject that I believe has merit, but does um, offer some opportunities to talk about some things that we need to talk about. So as you're looking at this very important item of CRT and how it's going to affect you, listen, um, as you're looking at this podcast right now, if you got kids, uh, if you got grandkids, um, trust me, uh, it's coming to your doorstep. It's coming to your doorstep. You're going to have to have this conversation. Uh, you're going to have to have this conversation because it's something that you're not going to be able to avoid. It's not only happening in the world, but it's creeping its way into the houses of God. Um, it is creeping its way into Bible studies, into home groups, into small groups. Um, this is going to permeate the landscape. And it's something that we desperately need to have some real and truthful conversations with. So that's CRT from a 30,000 foot view. <laughs> I know it's a lot. Um, I, I know it's a lot. Um and so when I when, when I talk about CRT, uh, when I talk about the critical race theory, there are some issues that we need to address. Um, but I also believe that there are some things that we need to really be careful about uh, propagating those things out into the society or into the world at large. Uh, this is a, um, a very, very dicey issue. It's not something that's not going to go away very soon. Uh, but I think that there needs to be some real conversation around this particular issue. So that is CRT. So my responsibility as a Christian, a black man in America are not in conflict. I indeed in, uh, will defend this position the best way that I can. And I will also try to illustrate the threat of the cancel culture and how it poses to the national or the rational discourse about racial inequity in America. And it's something that our country desperately needs is real conversation about racial uh, reconciliation or racial inequity in America. And I will try to model how a Christian, a black man who truly loves his people, I truly love my people, I truly love my people and I love all people, how we should respond. And there are some things that we should enunciate out loud and have the courage and the boldness to speak um, those truths in circles that some blowback might happen. So that is critical race theory, CRT, um, in a 30,000 foot view. There's, I could probably do about 25 podcasts on this thing, um, but I hope that this will drive some conversation um, to those who are listening and watching and that you will get into some courageous conversations um, about this particular issue and talk about it, not just from one standpoint, but express some ideas and differences of opinions to help this thing get off the ground because I definitely need, I believe, that we need to talk about it. So everybody, again, 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 thank you so, 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 so very much uh, for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Um, it has been a blessing. Remember, remember, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, if you're watching us on YouTube, you should subscribe. Then to the right, click the little bell. And so every time we go live, you are notified of when we do. 
I need you to engage. I need you to go in that comment section and talk about what this podcast was. I need you to like, share. I need you to put thumbs down, thumbs up. Uh, do all of that. Uh, let us know what Studio B is doing in your life and if you're benefiting from what we do here on the set. Everybody, thank you so very much. Remember, be empowered, be informed. Studio B. See you next week. <laughs>